0: Sometimes life can teach us lessons from unusual spots. I I read somewhere a couple of weeks ago that we can learn a lot in life from a postage stamp. Here's the beauty of the postage stamp. Its, its strength is in its ability to stick to something until it has reached its goal. Most most of us, if we're honest, have a weakness sort of on one side or the other of the model of perfection that is the postage stamp. Either, some of us, if we're honest, we have a hard time sticking with things. We, we get discouraged easily. We um, Maybe we, we, we try or we start too many things and we can't see them through to completion. The rest of us, it's not that we get discouraged easily or, or, or quit easily or start too many things, but our mistake is probably we get stuck to the wrong things. Maybe we get stuck to something sinful, something addictive. Or maybe we get stuck to something that's good, but we get so stuck toward one good thing that it becomes a detriment to other good things. We become so stuck to, to our to our jobs that we don't have enough stickiness left for, for our spouses, for our kids. Um, maybe uh, we, we get stuck so much to hobbies or to leisure or to social media or the internet that it, it becomes a detriment to, uh, to our work, to our families. Well, This is one reason why, there are lots of reasons, but this is one reason why for a Christian, it's so important to get ourselves as much as we can stuck to the Lord Jesus. Because He is the only thing that can help us balance all of those different roles, different things out. So when you become a Christian, it's not that God wants you to give up everything else, as in, like, no longer be involved. And other things. That's not true. God gave us lots of different roles. He gave us spouses. He gave us work. He gave gave us kids. He gave us a church. He gave us community to be involved in. He gave us hobbies and things we enjoy that that uh, sort of refresh us. He gave us all that stuff, and he wants us to have those things. But if it's up to us to decide what we stick ourselves to. We will get that out of whack. Adhering as best we can to the Lord Jesus, he will help us balance all those things. As we open the book of Philippians this morning, Paul's going to talk to us about this sort of single-mindedness. A good example of this sort of single-mindedness, David Livingstone the old uh, uh, missionary and explorer, he wrote to God in his diary this once. He said to God, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever from me any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. I think that's a lot of Paul's sentiment when he tells us what he tells us today. What we're going to read this morning in the very end of Philippians chapter 1 is, once again, we've done this before in Philippians already, but we're going to read one sentence today in Greek. It's not one sentence in English, but Paul writes these, these long, complicated sentences. So everything we read today is one idea. Uh, one uh, commentator calls this one nearly impossible sentence in Greek, and it, and it is that. This, today we see this letter of friendship, which it is, this letter of joy, which it is, become also a letter of command, exhortation, behind this command. There's, we're going to read. Here's what we're going to read today. What, there's one command: conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then in the rest of this sentence, Paul's going to uh, talk about some accountability toward keeping that command. He is going to talk about the circumstances going on in and around the lives of the Philippians that that makes him say this command. And then he's going to give, us, I think, some reasoning. Will help us want to obey this really difficult command. That's where we're going this morning in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Let's read that together. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. This is the new American standard on the screen. Paul writes: only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you. Or remain absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too is from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for His sake. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. There's our passage today and we start with the command that controls this sentence. This is the main clause. The main idea. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Most of our English Versions start with this word only. There's a few that, that differ to try to clear up what I'm going to explain in a minute. This, this uh, picture that I ripped off of the internet didn't have the word only, so I added it up there because I think it's important. Only is the right way to translate that Greek word, manon. But we use in English, we use this word only in a couple different ways, and I don't want you to think, be thinking of the wrong way. Sometimes when we use... The word only, maybe most often when we use the word only, we use the word only to sort of diminish something, Um, to talk about something that's simple. What I mean is, like, it, it only costs $5. Right? It'll only take five minutes. I'm only asking that you clean your room. Right? Paul is not saying, I'm only asking that you conduct yourselves manner in a worthy of the gospel of Christ. Like it's not that big of a deal. That's, that's not at all the sense in which Paul says this. Paul's not trying to diminish um, what he's asking. And in fact, he's not asking. This is a command, this is an imperative. And when Paul says only, Paul's using, using that word the way we use only like this, like I I only have eyes for Rachel, right? I, it, there's an exclusivity in that sense of the word only. So when Paul says only, Paul is saying this, only, exclusively, no matter where you are, No matter what you are doing, conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only. Paul's not telling his friends in Philippi what to do in this command. He's telling them how to do whatever they do. Whatever we do, we do it in a manner worthy of the gospel. So that's that's the first word, only. Next, This word, conduct yourselves, that's one word in Greek, too. That's an important one. Uh, That's a word kind of from the world of civics. Uh, It's kind of hard to translate this into English. This is your conduct as a citizen. Uh, We are all citizens of our hometowns, our home states, of the United States of America. As Christians, though, we have dual citizenship, right? Our main citizenship is in heaven. And Paul says, you conduct yourselves there in Philippi. They were citizens of Rome. Remember, Philippi is a a Roman colony. They could rightly call themselves Roman, even though they lived in Greece, what we would call Greece, or Macedonia. Um, But our conduct publicly and privately, exclusively, the way we live is to be in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But what's that mean? What does it mean to live our lives, to conduct ourselves publicly and privately in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, here's what it can't mean. I want to start there. Conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ is not Get yourself into shape to where it's finally worth it to God to have done what He did for you. Um, Get yourself to where where you are worthy of what He did for you at the cross. That's not at all what walking worthy, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel is about. In fact, that's kind of anti-gospel. Because when Jesus did what He did for you, if you have come to believe in the Lord Jesus, if you have come to trust that He went to the cross to face the wrath of God so that you are saved from the wrath of God, then His sacrifice on the cross becomes effective for your life. He did that, we just got done with the book of Romans, when... Did Paul say in Romans, Jesus died for you. While we were still sinners. While we were enemies of God. While we were at our worst. Jesus did that for us. So our lives, and this is its tricky not to fall into this way of thinking. Our lives, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel is not where I spend my whole life trying to pay God back for what He did to me. Did for me, excuse me. That's not what this means. You know why that's a bad way to think about our lives before God? We're we're just always trying to pay Him back for what He did for us. Because there's nothing left to pay. There is no debt. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. In some ways, you don't owe God any debt that wasn't already paid. Like When Rachel and I pay off our house, if we were going to continue to send money to the mortgage company, you'd think we were nuts. And you'd be right. And we do not plan to do that. Trust me. But living my life as if I'm trying to make these payments to God for what He did to me, did for me. That's like, there's no debt. And our measly little payment couldn't, couldn't pay it down if it was still there. So that's not what conducting uh, life, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel is. Because God, I say, I've, I've taken to saying this a lot, but God will not sell salvation. It's not on a payment plan. It's not on a layaway. He only gives it. And it is either a gift or it's not. And it is. So, what is living in a manner worthy of the gospel? It's not trying to pay God back, but there is a way to live where where I always live in the light of the weight of what God did for me at the cross. There's a way to live where I constantly recognize what God did for me. And I constantly recognize not just that Jesus died for me in my place, but he has given me access into a position that's so much better than any other position I could ever chase or earn or win. He has given me righteousness before the God of the universe. He has given me, uh, taken me from being God's enemy to being God's friend. He has given me adoption as a son of God. And that's so much better than being good at my job. Not that God doesn't want me to be good at my job. It's so much better than being good at sports. It's so much better than doing well in school. Those things are all great. But conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel is like living in a way where it shows that this truth is real to me. It's not that I am worthy to God. It's that the gospel is worthy to me it's the most valuable thing in my life. If I value the gospel, if I value the things of God, that will show up in my conversations at work, the way I raise my kids, the way I'm a spouse to my spouse, in my interactions online. If the gospel really is the most valuable thing to me, the position I have in Christ, if that's what's most valuable, my conduct will show that. That's what Paul says. That's my best stab at a very abstract concept. How are we to, to live our lives, conduct ourselves? Exclusively this, in a way that shows the, the gospel is valuable, it's worthy. So that's the command. Everything else we're going to go through this morning is about that command. We start uh, next, the second part of, excuse me, the first, yeah, second part of of verse 27. Paul writes this, I want you to to live exclusively in a manner that's worthy of the gospel so that, and listen to this accountability that Paul inserts in here, whether I come and see you, whether I get out of, of the clink here or whether I have to remain absent and we just keep sending messengers back and forth, I want to hear or see what that you're walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Well, how will you know? It's such an abstract concept, Paul. How will you know if your friends in Philippi are conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? Paul says, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, I can even be soul, and contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's the accountability, and that's what it looks like when someone's walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. Here's here's what's so important about this part of this verse. When Paul says, I want you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, immediately, immediately, he talks about something done together with other Christians. Christianity is a team sport. There is no room in the New Testament for the idea that says, and I've heard this a ton, I, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. When people say that, what they mean is, like, I don't have to be in the walls of this building right now to be redeemed And go to heaven. That is true. But to be a Christian. To follow Christ. To walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says. When I'm going to check to see. Because I love you Philippians. When I'm going to check to see. If you're walking worthy of the gospel. What I'm going to check is. Are you linked arm in arm, standing with other believers in Jesus Christ, contending for the faith of the gospel? Those two are intertwined. Now, I'll confess to you, this is a weakness of of me as a leader and as our church. As we have grown, we have not done a great job of having systematic ways for people. It's hard to stand arm in arm with 300 people as we you know come and go on sunday mornings. and and I've got to do better in the future of of getting us hooked up. but I hope you are finding people to do this with because it's what walking worthy of the gospel looks like according to Paul. and I believe him. You know when I say Christianity is a team sport, I mean that pretty, liter- pretty literally given this verse. Because right here with this, this uh, translation, this is the New English translation on, this, on the screen right now, where Paul says contending side by side, uh, your Bible might say striving together or something like that. Listen to this Greek word. This is a terrible way to do word study. You don't listen to what a word sounds like and try to draw meaning from it. But it works in this in this case. Uh, That word in Greek is soon athleo. Soon, the prefix just means together. And what English words do you think we get from athleo? Athletics. Athlete. Like compete together. Side by side. But, make sure you're competing together, contending for, striving together with, defending the faith of the gospel. And we got to camp here for just a minute. It is so important to make sure that what we are standing side by side and defending is actually the faith of the gospel. Um, if I was a pastor in Omaha or on the East Coast, I would preach this part differently, but I live in the third district of Nebraska. Okay? So, it is way easier to stand up and fight than it is to stand up and fight for the faith of the gospel. It is way easier where we live to stand up and fight for conservative ideals, for the Republican Party, than it is to stand up and fight for the faith of the gospel. And those are not the same things. Here's why I say that. Now, I am all for gun rights. I'm a gun owner. I don't want to tell you where it is in case you're ever at my house, but I got one. I'm for those things. Please don't hear me wrong. But it's so much easier, especially where we live, to stand up and wave the flag for basically what most everyone around here agrees with because the audience, the team, is way bigger. As long as I stand up and fight um, against the Equality Act, which I want to, um, for the Second Amendment, which I want to, against abortion, which I want to, but as long as those are the things I mainly fight for, for the most part, I've got a pretty big team, right? I may find a way to get myself in an argument online, but really the rest of my team will see that and kind of go, oh man, you did a great job right there. I, I just want to remind you, hell is just as long for a Republican as it is for a Democrat. Paul's going to use the word Destruction. In a second. Destruction is what is waiting for those who are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there are millions of people who voted Republican in the last election who are headed for hell if they don't repent and turn to Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you to not be involved. Please don't hear me say that. I just want us to stand up and contend side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here's why. As we move on, Paul says, here's the circumstances behind this command. Paul, why are you telling us to do this right now? Well, Paul seems to know that the Philippians either will or are facing opposition because of the gospel. And so Paul says, verse 28, not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. Um, Your Bible might use a different word than intimidated, uh, not be alarmed, something like that. But that's, that's what this is. Paul says, I know if you live in a manner worthy of the gospel, if you're, You'll be linked arm in arm with other Christians contending, competing for the gospel. Paul says you're going to get some opposition. You will. You know, I think our mission field primarily out here is probably people we agree with on a lot of social issues. When we start contending for the gospel, even with those folks we will receive, suddenly our team won't be quite so big That's why we need each other. Because this team is supposed to contend for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a million reasons to oppose somebody. Sometimes I get opposed, not because it's the gospel, but because I'm being a jerk. We need to make sure we're contending for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means we see our team as people who are contending for the gospel of Jesus Christ That means even people that we may have to team up with on social issues, political issues, community service, they may agree with us in a lot of ways, but if we start to say, Hey, man, the way you are you're arguing, you know, that doesn't seem like the gospel's the most important thing to you. Do you know who Jesus is? You start having those conversations, what will happen? You'll get a lot less. Yeah, you tell them. You really tell. You really owned that lib. You'll get a lot less of that, and a lot more. Oh, you're so holier than now now. Oh, you're all Jesusified now. It's a lot less comfortable, and the team gets way smaller. But Paul says, "Don't be intimidated by your opponents if what you contend for is the gospel." Have you read the Bible? It's a great book. I highly recommend it. I don't want to give away the ending. But in the end of this book, those who are on Jesus' team win. And I mean win. In the end of this book, death dies. For those who are on Jesus' team. I always, the church age, this time we live in, I always compare it to the biggest blowout basketball game in history. Right? Jesus checked into the game. At the cross, he like dunked on our enemies. Right? He got us a lead of infinity points. Then he checked out of the game and went and sat on the bench next to his father. Okay? In some ways. We're still playing, the clock's still running. Scary bad things can still happen until the final buzzer sounds. People can get embarrassed down here. People can get injured down here. People can get hurt down here. People could commit fouls down here. But you know what is not in doubt? The outcome. It is not time to panic, oh Christian. It is not time to panic, oh Christian. This is why it's so important to contend for the gospel. If we only contend for social issues and the right policy and legislation, you know in some ways you're going to lose. I don't know how to break this to you, but we're not going to stop the slide of godlessness of our culture. Like, write it down. You don't have to write it down. It's been written down. And so if we spend all of our time trying to fight and claw to make this place uh, godly, that's going over the cliff into the abyss, and we're abandoning our chance to contend for the gospel, which is the only thing that can actually snatch souls and keep them from going over the cliff with everything else. The rest of the world literally is going to hell. And we're not going to stop that by stopping the next law or by getting a local ordinance passed that we want. Jesus Christ stopped that at the cross. And Those who believe in Him and accept Him as Savior, Lord, live in a manner worthy. They're the winners. And when we contend for the gospel, then we can live with Paul's attitude where he said elsewhere, what can can man do to me? do put me in prison? Execute me. So there's the command only exclusively walk in a manner. conduct yourselves as citizens in a manner where the next world's more important than this one. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, that looks like arm in arm contending for the gospel, That looks like not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. Does that sound easy or hard? Well, it ain't easy. So the last thing Paul does is he gives us some reasoning that helps motivate us to obey this really difficult command. He starts this reasoning this way, second part of verse 28. He says, this is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, a sign which is from God. Oh, my goodness. How many times have I heard of Christians who just want to receive a sign from God? Would you like to receive a sign from God? I don't normally do this. In fact, this is my first time and probably my last. But I'm going to tell you this morning how you can receive a sign from God. In fact, I'm going to tell you how you can receive two of them. Conduct your life in a way where it seems like the gospel of Jesus Christ really is the most valuable thing in your life. Get together with some other people who are willing to do that, who hold each other accountable to doing that, and pump each other up to do that, and share the the embarrassment together and the victories together. Don't be intimidated by your opponents. But then, when you face opposition, when you get the, oh, you're all holier than thou now, first you say, no, I'm not, but I know someone who is. Right? Oh, you're all Jesusified. Don't bring that Bible stuff in here. Right? All of those things that we're so scared of, when, you, when that gets directed at you, and again, it's directed at you because you're standing up for the gospel, you will have just received Two signs from God. This, the opposition. The opposition is a sign, first, of their destruction. When you tell someone the gospel, and they get angry, and they hate you, and they ridicule you, and don't feel bad for you. Paul said, you just received a sign that they are headed for destruction. Eternal destruction. Conscious destruction. And you've also received a sign of your salvation. A sign which is from God. Four, Paul says, it's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also suffer for Him. And then Paul says to his friends, you guys are encountering the same conflict you saw me face and now hear that I am facing. Paul says, "It's it's not that the Philippians are going to wind up in a Roman prison like he is, but they're in the same battle. They're in the same conflict. And if you stand together, side by side, with other Christians, you contend for the gospel, you make that the most important thing in your life, you're going to receive opposition. And instead of feeling like, man, I really did that wrong, isn't that why part of why we hesitate to talk about Jesus? That we're waiting for that right time where we know it will go right It ain't always going to go right. And you know what? That's okay. You want a sign from God, don't you? The sign is when it doesn't go okay, your heart goes, I must really believe this stuff because I would never go through that if he wasn't more valuable than me. It can comfort our hearts. Even the opposition and the hatred of the world. So, may we be single minded and have this as the controlling factor of our lives the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we stand together in that. May we help one another hang in there, not lose heart when we're opposed, when we're rejected for the gospel, for our faith. And may any rejection actually bolster our courage. That's when we've received a sign from God. A sign that, unfortunately, that person's on the losing team. I must really be on the winning team. Thank you for the reminder, even though it didn't feel that great. Now, what was it that got us on the winning team? Is it because we've got this all figured out and we got ourselves really good? No. What got us on the winning team was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to celebrate uh, and remember together for the rest of our times. So as the guys come forward, uh, let me pray for our time to end um, this sermon and turn our hearts toward the table. Let's pray. Father God, um, that is another tough passage, like every week. Oh God, I want to conduct myself in a manner that demonstrates that the gospel is the most valuable thing in my life. I want to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel. I want that for my friends, my church family here. I want us to stand side by side and compete together for the gospel and not be intimidated by the forces of evil that oppose us. When we do face opposition and hatred from the world, remind us that's the sign that comes from you. We're on the winning team that we're really doing this. And God, now as we end our time together this morning, we want to remember what has won the victory. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on a cross the punishment we deserved, but that he took in our place. God, as the as the bread comes around this morning, remind us um, that you have paid all of the payment necessary for our redemption, for our purchase. And then God, help us remember that we're bought. We're bought. We're yours. And then as we leave, help us to live in a manner worthy that we are bought by the Son of God. At the cost of his blood. Bless our time around your table in Jesus' name.